Well, I hope y'all don't hold my hold that against my time. <laughs> Brother, I've had my instruction all week. Seems like everybody's been talking about God's uh, the way God intervenes, and He's just able. When you when your strength is insufficient. God comes in. Brother Joe was reading the other night about Gideon, that, that scripture. He's never late. Uh, when, when he's, how humble Gideon was and he, how he felt the task before him seemed loomed so large. And he felt so small in his own self. And God was able to show him something. And because he was willing, God was able to do a mighty work. While he was reading, I thought about, you know, God don't need much. I thought about that Jesus began to preach and multitudes began to come out. In one place he had big multitude out to hear him preach yes. and they were wondering yeah. how they were going to feed them, exactly. what yeah. they were going to exactly. do. And there was a young lad in yep. that group That's right. that didn't have much. The disciple said, we have a lad here, he's got five loaves and two fishes. Yes. Right. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, bring them to me. And that lad was willing to give what little bit he had, and God blessed and break. And when they were all filled, they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. So God can just, you just give him all you've got and rely on him for the rest. I want to read a little bit about some people that did that tonight. Let me, first, let me, let me start by um, reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to give you a verse out of here. This is verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've been reading the last several weeks um, a number of things, but what I've, what, what I've studied, and perhaps, I don't know why this interests me so much, but over this last couple months the the script this scripture about the temple of God has just grabbed my attention and maybe it's cause of uh, it's got something to do with my trade I'm a carpenter maybe that's what I do I admire craftsmanship and I look for craftsmanship when I go into a when I go into a house especially a builder I've never done any work for I'm uh, I, I look around and I start checking out the work and Every once in a while, real rare, I find really good, high-quality work. Real craftsmen doing their job, and they're, they're not very often. But when, it, when I see it, it really catches my attention. It inspires me to do my best. I don't want my work sticking out like a sore thumb in this beautiful craftsman, in, in these, among these other craftsmen. I want to do my best. And so it is when you get in the work of God and you see people that are given everything they've got and you read these scriptures and you really study about these people who gave everything they had, it inspires me to do everything that I can do. Let me get into the scripture before I take up too much time. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. Wrapping up the reign of David the king. And David had a few words to say before he left. And I'm going to read you some of them. David saw this vision of this temple. And God told him he wouldn't be able to build but he started getting ready. Let me, let me begin reading it. Then David the king stood upon his feet 
and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed much blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over, to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. Yeah. And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And, said unto me, and he said unto me, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. And if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day, now therefore in the sight of all the congregation of Israel and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess the good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. Amen. If thou seek him, yes. he will be found of thee. Yes. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. i got to cut this reading. Y'all be patient with me tonight. I'm on, it's a lot of reading here. I don't have a lot of experience of this. And I... I I need your help. <laughs> we preach as a team. And I, I need your help. Y'all can use your imaginations and help me uh, try, to, try to get through this. This is David continuing. Now he's speaking to all the congregation a little bit later in the next chapter. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good, of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. He tells the things that he has prepared. The gold for the things of gold. The silver for the things of silver. And for all manner of work to be made, to be made by the hands of the artificers. And who then is willing this day to consecrate his service unto the Lord? Then the chief priest, then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God. Of gold, 5,000 talents. It tells what all they gave. Then the people rejoiced for that they had offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced with joy. So he's made ready. He's not, God has told him he wouldn't build the house but he's charged the people in his position of influence and authority. He stood in front of his people and said, this is, the, this is my son Solomon. God has chosen him. He will build a house. And he challenged them. Are you willing? Are you willing to work? Are you willing to give? Are you willing to contribute to the house that we're going to build for the Lord? Let me go on down. David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God and all the congregation. Bless the God of their fathers and bow down their heads in worship. <clears throat> and it, uh, let me see. And Solomon sat on the throne as king instead of David his father and prospered 
and all Israel obeyed him. So as he took the throne, I'm going to turn, this is, I was reading you from Chronicles. I'm going to turn back over to Kings and read a little bit, read a little bit about the house. I don't have time to, this is a lot of reading. It's worthy of your study. If you're interested, if you have time and you're interested, this stuff interests me because I deal in construction. I know our folks have a long standing tradition in construction and a lot of y'all, most of y'all have at some point in your life dabbled in that field. So... uh, but we begin to understand that what they were building was a house. And a lot of us are familiar with that. This was not an average, ordinary house. Yeah. I want to read you some of the attributes. Have you ever thought about it and studied what all went into the construction of this house? And I've tried in my mind to... I don't think there's ever been a house quite like this house. And Brother Ty was talking the other morning really enjoyed that about the houses that were built in, in the late 19th century... And or uh, and then yeah, is that right? Yeah. And and all the architecture and they had so much wealth, they had so much money, and they put so much into those. There was never a house built like this house, and built in the most primitive conditions. This was no industrial equipment, no railroad, none of that stuff. How much less the modern industrial equipment we have today. And let me read you some of the things that just amaze me. I admire the craftsmanship. I believe that God blessed these men. I believe the men that contributed. You don't know their names. They were thousands of them. But I believe the hand of God was on them because they willingly offered. And in spite of, they were human. And they were building a physical structure. But I believe the power and the presence of God made them the best craftsmen that have ever lived. Perhaps. I don't know that, but that's what I believe. And it goes on to say, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. And God was building him up, getting him ready. It was going to take all the resources of the world to build this house, not just what they had in Israel. And he begins, God's building him up, building him up, getting him ready. And King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month by courses. A month they were in Lebanon and two months at home. And Adoniram was over the levy. And Solomon had three score and ten thousand that bear burdens. Seventy thousand laborers. Laborers. And four score thousand hewers in the mountains. (laughs) That's a hundred and fifty thousand people right there. Eighty thousand people in the mountains that were were just hewing timber. Y'all starting to see what I'm saying? This is amazing. For one house. Now, this is even just as impressive. Beside the chief of Solomon's offers, which were over the work, 3,300 which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. One house, 3,300 superintendents for one, one project. And they were spread out over the entire land. And they were cutting timber up in the mountains. They were, they were hauling it to the river, lashing the logs, floating them down the river, men taking it off. 
It was going to one for the honor and glory of the name of God. House built unto God. Let me go on a little bit. And the house when it was in building, this is just amazing to me. I'm, y'all bear with me. The house when it was in building was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither. So that there was neither hammer, nor axe, nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. That's right. Perfect. Perfect. I, that's why I believe that God's hand was on these men. Listen to this verse. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house, and they went up with winding stairs into the middle chamber. Now, I'm a stair carpenter. That's what I do. This is, a great, this is really of interest to me. And that's not all. Winding stairs that went up to the middle chamber and out of the middle into the third. So if I could get... If, if, I mean, this, I don't know how tall the ceilings were. It probably tells you in here. But it would be... I'm talking... This sounds to me like in, the, in a trade we would call this stacked curves. A curve going out to the top and from that floor going up to the third, another stair. Freestanding, one over top of the other. Yeah. This is a challenge for craftsmen in, with modern industrial equipment sure. yeah. and, and CAD drawings and CNC routers and all this stuff. Right. How much less in this ancient age? And I believe it was perfect. In yeah. yeah. all of these men, however many it was, at least 150,000, 60,000 men working all the time, as hard as they could go, for seven years they worked until the house of God was finished. So he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. And there's the house is finished. But it's empty. The house is done and I no doubt it was beautiful. I don't have, I'd love to go into all the details. I don't have time. In the fourth year was the foundation of the house the Lord laid in the month Ziph. And in the eleventh year in the month Bull, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all the parts and according to the fashion of it. So he was seven years in building it. Let me go back to Chronicles. <clears throat> I, I didn't read to you about all the instruments, but I don't. I, the house had to be furnished. Just like any house you would live in. This is a house for the Lord. Yeah. And they've got the house built and it's finished and it's done. But it wasn't furnished. Now, meanwhile, all this construction's going on. Solomon had a gen- a- another king, higher on the king of Tyre, who was, cr- who was creating all kinds of... Maybe I could read some of that. He was making it, what we, I guess you would call accessories, furniture. All the stuff that goes inside a house. And the men in construction, we get the house built, and that's about as far as we go with it. And then we turn it over. But it has to be furnished before it's fit to be inhabited. Let me see. I think I had it over here. Vessels. He made all kind of things. Vessels. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because they were exceeding many. Neither was the weight of brass found out. He made all the vessels that pertained to the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold whereupon the showbread was, the candlesticks of pure gold, the tongs, flowers, lamps, 
and the bowls, the snuffers, the basins, the spoons, the censers of pure gold, the hinges of pure gold, both for the doors of the inner house and for the most holy place, so has ended all the work that King Solomon had made. And I, bear with me, what is all this spoons and bowls and all this stuff? The thing that interests me about all the accessories is, and I wouldn't take time to read it, they were sanctified. This stuff was sanctified. Those bowls and basins and spoons and tongs and candlesticks and all those things were set apart for a holy purpose. You were not to be used for anything else. That's what they were for. They wouldn't use them at their home. They didn't use them just casually. And They were for the things of God. That is the significance of these Old Testament things were sanctified. And we can take learn from that. When you go out in the world and profess to be sanctified, what you're stating, like these accessories, you are set apart from the world not to be used for any other purpose than for the glory and the honor of God. So they got it all finished. And I've skipped so much stuff. But... When you get through with it and the house is furnished and they finally got, and this is years and going, and all these people, and can you imagine the excitement? Yes. Light at the end of the tunnel, it's all starting to come together, and it's time to move in. Yeah. And right at the very end, when they got all the work finished, the last thing Solomon built was a scaffold. And he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and had set it in the midst of the court and upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven nor in earth which keep his covenant and shew his mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Skipping down. Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified which thou hast spoken to thy servant David. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. Have respect, therefore, unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and prayer before thy, that which thy servant prayeth before thee, that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which, thou, which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken, therefore, unto the supplication of thy servant, and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. And he goes on down and begins to, as he, he continues to pray, and he says, If the people be put to the worst before their enemies, and they have sinned against thee, when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, hear thou in heaven, give them rain. And he's if there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, blasting, or mildew, whatsoever prayer or supplication they pray, hear thou in heaven and forgive. If thy people go out to war against the enemies in the way that thou send them and pray to this place which thou hast 
which thou hast chosen. Then hear thou from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whithersoever thou hast sent them, and, and pray toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have built it for thy name, then hear thou from heaven and forgive. So Solomon is asking God, in the event these people can't come, they can't be in this place, they're not in Jerusalem, if all the circumstances of life begin to happen, if they sin against you, they're carried away, they're dragged into another land, if they're gone captive, if they can just turn and look, just look that way. Pray yeah. in that direction. Yeah. And that. I believe, absolutely, may we do that with the Amen. eyes of your heart tonight. Yeah. If you have been look carried away heaven. captive Amen. and devil has taken you away from the presence of God, I believe there's virtue in just turning your eyes. I've seen some people here this week that I've prayed for before I came. I've seen the tears. Maybe you haven't quite turned loose yet, but I believe in your heart beginning to turn and look. Look that way. I read right before camp meeting and was reading in um, the uh, Gospel of John. And that's good reading there. Starting reading, reading through. Jesus began to talk to Nicodemus. And one of the things he told him, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... And Nicodemus knew all about that. He was ruler of the Jews. He knew that scripture. And y'all know that scripture. <laughs> Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Moses was in the wilderness. And, and if you didn't know what mo- happened to Moses, he was in the wilderness leading the people out. And there they were out in the wilderness. And the people sinned of, like they did. And God sent fiery serpents among the people. It's just about three or four verses in the book of Numbers. I looked that up week before we got here. Just a short little text that Christ referenced. They've sent fiery serpents in and they were biting the people. It said many of the people of Israel died and they were beseeching Moses, we've sinned, we've sinned. Pray for us. And Moses prayed to the Lord and the Lord told Moses and said, make thee a fiery serpent. And Moses fabricated this fiery serpent and placed uh, it as a brazen serpent. Right. And placed it on a pole. He fastened it to that pole. And it came, he was in the midst of the congregation. You could see, I mean, this was over a million people. That's right. And he placed it on that pole and raised it up. That's right. And it came to pass, when they looked on that serpent, anyone that had been bitten were made whole. And what Christ was telling Nicodemus, as he lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's who we're looking to tonight. When they laid that man out, he was bloody and beaten and uh, embarrassed and humiliated. On his way to his crucifixion, they laid the cross out on the ground, laid it out flat, and they laid him on his back out there. They didn't just fast tie him to the cross. He wasn't, no, no leather straps. He was fastened with nails, fastened to that cross. And those Roman soldiers got, I don't know exactly how it went. But they got behind that cross and raised it up off the ground. And that man began to was he hang on that cross. And they got him up off the ground tonight. Christ is saying, if you'll look that way, there is virtue and healing in the cross of Jesus Christ. So Solomon's prayer was answered, wasn't it? I'm going to go on. Let me read a little bit of that. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying. Wait a minute. I'm, I've left something out here. 
Then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not stand to enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Well, it took hard work. It took everything they had. They gave everything they had, worked and worked and worked, committed to the glory and honor of God, and God answered and blessed them and filled the house. Well, y'all, in, in spite of how great that house was, y'all know that it wouldn't be long before it was destroyed. One king, Solomon passed his reign on to his son. One king after another, transgression came in. Sin came in. What happened? And the kingdom began to fall apart. I didn't take time to read, but that in the days of Solomon, that kingdom was at its pinnacle, I believe. Yes. At its height of international prominence. Yes. Just head and shoulders above the whole rest of the world. Even the wealthiest of the world, of the other nations. The Queen of Sheba came, and she was wealthy. And, and maybe had heard all the fame of Solomon and went all abroad. And she heard, I don't know about this, surely. I, you know how sometimes things, rumors get going and they get embellished? And sometimes the reputation is greater than the, when, than the reality. When you finally get there, you hear that about sometimes a restaurant or something. And it's so, when you, when you get there, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And maybe Queen of Sheba thought that, but not when she got there. Yeah. And here she come with a great train. Yeah. And all this pomp and, and all this coming in like he's going to really notice me. And she came with hard questions. She was going to prove him. And he just answered everything. Told her all that was in her heart. And when she saw the way that he... This attending uh, of his servants, I had, I, I didn't take the time to read that. But when she got in the presence of that man, the aura, the power of God, she saw the attending of his servants, the ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. No more spirit. The half was not told me till I had to come and see. Lo, the half was not told me of all the greatness that God had done. It was powerful. How can something that great? Be brought so low. But it did. And, and it took a number of years. I'm not going to go into all that, but you start to see. God has given us an example. A period of time out of history. This is your example. This is what I will bless. This is what I am pleased with. And, and here's what happens if you just treat it. You just casually. Nevertheless, they did have a chance to go back and build. And y'all know, know that story. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, I'm not going to talk about that. They did have a chance to go back and rebuild. And it was a wonderful time. It was a great time. They began to prophesy. People began to work. And the walls began to go up. They rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, began to repair the breaches. During that time, the prophet Haggai began to prophesy. And... And no doubt, these people probably weren't sure of what he was saying. I'm going to read it to you. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, 
and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I just talked to you about that. I didn't say, but when they raised that pole, that man up, and they raised him up on that cross, the earth begin to shake. Things begin to happen. And I will shake all nations and all and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory. The time he's prophesying they're in captivity. The house is destroyed. How is this going to happen? But they did begin to go and work. But what was Haggai really talking about? The silver is mine. The gold is mine saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Greater than that of the former. The 150,000 men, the people in the mountains, the, the cedar, the cypress, gold without weight. How in the world? This house is going to be greater than the former house? And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they did build. They did work. They were diligent. But they didn't have peace. They worked with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. It was a time of battle, a time of struggle. They were grinding. They were getting through it. But they made it through. They never... And that house was rebuilt, but the glory, the awe of the majesty that it enjoyed in the days of Solomon would never return. Would never return to Jerusalem. And in comes Jesus many years later. And He walks into a people that are saying, Wilt thou at this time restore unto us the kingdom of Israel? Still waiting for Haggai's prophecy. Looking for the glory. Wanting the king. Wanting world prominence. Looking for wealth and riches and fame. And indeed He would, but that's not what they were looking for. Let me read you now, but there was a few. I'm going to read you about some of the few. Everyone, see, I guess, isn't it amazing how you, the people who really recognized Christ for what He was, were probably not looking for the kingdom to be restored. These disciples. They were fishermen, just common. Some of them were, were tax collectors. They weren't prominent scholars of the law. They weren't living, anticipating a return of the Messiah. I guess they were, but they were just going about their daily life. And those are the people, like I was saying a while, like the young lad that God chose to use, that God reached out and used. And when he began to preach, and it took... It didn't take long. Things began to happen. People began to come out and hear him. And buzz started going around that religious community. Who is this man? And some people liked it and some people didn't. But he preached the truth. He kept his integrity. He went and did his, he did his father's business. But oh, there was all kind of rumors about people didn't know what to think of him. What do you think of this man? Some people said... You know, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. And, and there were all this contention and strife that the Pharisees wanted. Is this the prophet? And they said, well, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, the, it, and search and look for out of Galilee or out of Nazareth ariseth no prophet. And they were back and forth over where the Christ child would come from. He was stirring them up, stirring it up. And so... I read here, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then saith unto them, then he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That's right. So the question remains tonight. Who is Christ? Can you identify him? What does he mean to you? Was he a historical figure? Is he the God that someday you'll uh, you'll deal with? Or is he real on yes. the inside? A true Savior. Someone that you will give your life for. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a statement of faith. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the latter house that God, Haggai was prophesying about. This is what He was telling them. It was going to be so great that mankind could not build it. It would not be built with stones and gold and axes and saws. These things had done as great a job as they could do. And the prophet says the glory of the latter is going to be greater than that of the former. So Christ began to build. Jesus Christ, and when He came, the carpenter's son went to work. He began to make something happen and bring in spiritual things. I read you that verse. We look not at the things which are seen, the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, like that temple. The things which are not seen are eternal. God's church lives forever tonight. It was sanctification and holiness that God came to establish. You read about it in the first chapter of Acts. When He, those people begin to gather together, the, the disciples were there. And the women also. Mary the mother of Jesus was there and Mary Magdalene. About 120 of them in that upper room that were waiting, waiting, waiting for the promise of the Father when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Then the Holy Ghost came down. God was building a temple, a a place that He would dwell. And tonight, the dwelling place of God is not in clay and bricks and mortar. It's in the hearts of men and women. It was like when the God reached down from His heavenly throne into the miry clay. That was his materials. Yeah. That was it wasn't fine cedar and fur, miry clay, a vessel marred with sin on the outside, marred with sin on the inside. Placed it upon that potter's wheel. And as Jeremiah said, he made it again another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. And that is what God does in your life. This is the habitation of God. I got one more scripture. Y'all from a f- That's right. I didn't turn that one down, but that would have been a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone 
in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This is where God lives. It's where He dwells. That was a scripture in Isaiah that's, that, that escapes me now. It just came to my mind as I was reading that. That maybe I ought to look it up. <clears throat> Y'all, excuse me. I think I can find it. I think it's Isaiah 57. <clears throat> For thus saith the high and lofty one yeah. that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Tonight we're looking at things that are not seen with the natural eye and how many people are working hard for those stacked curves I was talking about and granite tops and things of this life. They will fade away. God is wanting people in His service that are going to build Him a spiritual house. I want you to take your mind off of things that you can see. If you can, if I, if you could somehow just peek into the spiritual realm, and you begin to understand that indeed, through sanctification, through holiness, the glory of the latter house is greater than that of the former, and all those things just begin to fade, and you begin to see. Amen. Starting to see, and I thank God for His Word. I've been studying this for several weeks, and I'm beginning to see. That how true is that scripture? Amen. The things which are seen are eternal. Uh, The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. I love the Lord tonight. I love you. I really do. And we want to extend an invitation tonight. Any of you, if you're looking at things that are seen, if that's where your efforts and your striving and your work, seeking that. When you begin to turn your work and your energies into things that are not seen, God will come and bless your house. We're going to sing a song of invitation. We ask the congregation to stand. Consider your soul tonight. Think about what direction you're heading and where are you putting your work? Where are you putting your time? Where are you putting your energy? Are you willing? Are you willing? To offer willingly? To consecrate your service to the Lord? God's house is available. And no matter how far out you are, if you'll turn that way, start turning your eyes and looking that way, God will bless you and He'll see it. Draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. Congregation, stand.